0: joining us, I'm Diane Rehm. President-elect Donald Trump strikes a deal with Carrier to keep half the 2,000 jobs here in the U.S. that would have been sent to Mexico. The unemployment rate drops to the lowest in nine years, and North Carolina prosecutors say the police officer who killed Keith Lamont Scott will not face charges. Here for the domestic hour of the Friday News Roundup, Reed Wilson of The Hill Newspaper, Lisa Desjardins of the PBS NewsHour, and Jeff Mason, White House correspondent for Reuters. And throughout the hour, we'll welcome your calls, questions, comments, 800-433-8850. Send us an email to drshow at wamu.org. Follow us on Facebook or send us a tweet. And it's good to see all of you. Good to be with you. Great to be here. And uh, Lisa, we have a November jobs report, a very strong one.
1: That's right. The unemployment rate has now fallen to 4.6%. That's a very large drop within one month. It's down 0.3 percentage points. And unemployment went up by almost 200,000 jobs that's a, ro- that's, a, that's a good report. However, if you look deep down into the paragraphs of this report, we see really the longer-term problem with this economy. Wages fell. Payroll went down just three cents on average. But, but that was a decline after a good month in October. And, you know, for all this talk about jobs, we see the continued problem in this economy is really wages. How important is that,
0: Jeff?
2: Well, it's important on, a, on a, several different levels. On a political level, it's a pretty nice way for President Obama to go out. Other than the, the bit about the wage growth, which, isn't, which is critical, um, going out at 4.6 you percent know, unemployment, uh, an 11-year record, it's, it's, it really justifies or, or will show that the President's record, uh, as the White House continues to say, uh, is solid on the economy. It um, It is – I mean, there are some questions about wage growth, as, as Lisa mentioned, and that was a big deal during the campaign. Um, but all in all, politically, this is – at least for this White House, uh, this is a solid day. The one thing it is worth noting, though, is because of the strength of the economy uh, and because of the 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 unemployment rate and et cetera, uh, it's likely that the Fed will probably raise uh, interest rates. So that's something uh, that we can look
3: for so probably later this month. So that's coming next, week. Really. And the Fed meets December 13th and 14th. Uh, they are concerned. Some members of the Fed have been concerned for a few uh, months now about the rate of growth of the economy. A growing, an economy that grows too fast uh, can lead to a, a worse downslope on, on the back end. And so the Fed may act in the next few weeks to uh, to reduce rates. In fact, a lot of the analysts that I was reading this morning are pretty much convinced now that because of the strength of this jobs report, uh, a rate hike is almost baked in. And we see now, at least in the morning trading, that. That the uh, The Dow is down a little bit traders don 't like it when uh, the rates increase all right
0: let 's talk about the Trump team and the latest James Mattis for defense secretary. Tell us about him. Um, Jeff.
2: Known as Mad Dog, uh, President-elect Trump decided last night during his rally to say secretly, just to the crowd, (laughs) secretly, secretly (laughs) don't kill anybody, keep it amongst us, even though this is being broadcast on many networks, uh, (laughs) that this is who my my choice is for defense secretary. Uh, This is someone with a background on the battlefield in Iraq and Afghanistan. Uh, It's a signal that a President Trump will move away from uh, President Obama's uh, sort of reliance on allies to check um, aggression by Russia and Europe, to check aggression by China and Asia, Uh, also choosing somebody who is very uh, hawkish on Iran. uh,
0: which Which is what got him fired from the Obama administration,
1: what stood out to me in looking into James Mattis yesterday was he came out, and this is something worth reading. Uh, just in the last couple of months, he co-authored something called A Blueprint for American Security. And if you read that, some of the standout quotes over that from that say, we must be capable of, pla- of, capable of placing our security um, – Above other things we value, understanding that in the absence of security, all else is moot. We must be willing to work with imperfect allies. At the same time, this is a man who calls for ethical military values. But he's saying something that Donald Trump has said before, which is we will work with imperfect allies and security above all else. Sort of almost an end justifies the military strategy.
0: Doesn't he also disagree
3: with torture, uh, he does, and uh, Mattis is has a. An interesting history. We, we mentioned the fact that he was relieved of his duties early because of his public opposition to uh, the, to the, the deal with uh, Iran. He's a hardliner on on Iran itself, um, and yet he is somebody who uh, had been close to the to the to the, the sort of military establishment. Um, notable, I think, that Donald Trump spent part of the campaign talking about how much more he knew than the generals. Now he has picked a general to run the Pentagon and a uh, retired and a retired general to be his national security advisor. Uh, and there is another general in the mix, former general, uh, retired General David Petraeus, uh, who is in the mix for Secretary of State. It's important to note, too, that uh, Mattis would require a waiver uh, to exactly. become uh, defense secretary. Congress passed a law in 1947 that required a essentially a cooling-off period once you retire from the military. It was initially 10 years. That was amended to seven years back in 2008. Uh, Mattis has not been retired for seven years. He retired in 2013. So before he is confirmed as Secretary of Defense, Congress will need to pass a separate waiver. Uh, Some folks have brought up opposition to such a waiver because of our tradition of civilian control of the military. Uh, Senator Kristen Gillibrand, who's a senior member of the Senate Armed Services Committee, a Democrat from New York, tweeted last night that she would not favor a waiver for James Mattis.
0: How interesting. And to what extent are others going to oppose? A waiver?
1: He certainly will have, it seems he's going to have very strong support from Republicans in Congress. And I think the question is what the Democratic leadership, especially newly incoming Democratic leader for the Senate, Chuck Schumer, how he handles this. Chuck Schumer is a man who has shown over the last five years that he's wanted to create uh, an, an image of working across the aisle and someone who chooses his battles. Will he choose this battle? It's a big question.
0: All right. And on to his economic uh, team. What about Steven Mnuchin, a Goldman trader turned hedge fund manager?
2: Turned Hollywood financier. Yes, he's (laughs) got a really interesting background, certainly somebody who has the confidence of President-elect Trump, which is important going into an administration. Uh, Got some criticism, though, because of that Goldman background, especially since uh, Donald Trump during the campaign was critical of Goldman specifically uh, and didn't seem, at least to some critics, that this is in line with his promise uh, to drain the swamp. But interesting he came out on television pretty quickly after uh, the announcement and made some some promises they they want to reduce the corporate tax rate uh to 15% uh down from 35 that would be a big change uh he is advocating that the Trump administration will be able to have 3 to 4% GDP growth that's pretty ambitious um, See, and,
1: note to Jeb Bush uh, on
2: that right and <laughs> uh, and also some nitty-gritty things like he wants to uh, make Freddie Mac or Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac the, the big housing lenders uh, privatized, um, which would be which would be pretty uh, a pretty big deal.
0: So talk about uh, two
3: others: health and human services. So the uh, Trump's nominee to become the the secretary of health and human services is Congressman Tom Price. Uh, he's an orthopedic surgeon from uh, Georgia. Uh, he is also the author of the most prominent replacement option uh, for uh, the. The affordable care act he 's you know Republicans talked about repealing and replacing it they didn 't offer much of a replacement. Tom Price actually wrote a two hundred and fifty page bill uh, that would have essentially moved a lot of the power away from the federal government and back to the states uh, it It strikes me Jeff mentioned this notion of draining the swamp and we 've got. Stephen Mnuchin, who has deep ties on Wall Street Tom Price, who's got deep ties uh, on Capitol Hill he's the chairman of, of uh, the the House Budget Committee uh, and his transportation secretary uh, nominee Elaine Chow who's uh, a correct me if I'm wrong the only secretary in George W Bush's cabinet to serve the entire two terms uh, under Bush uh, this' and the wife of. and the wife of Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell exactly. this, this isn't so Washington
2: much power couple there yeah, yeah.
3: <laughs> this isn't so much dra- the swamp uh, as it is I think I feel like shifting the power axis from Washington to new york uh, there there's a lot of uh, a lot more influence from Wall Street and banks showing itself in the early trump administration
0: shouldn't we mention that price uh is not only anti the Affordable Care Act, but also strongly anti-abortion.
1: That's correct. And I think that we're going to see that play out potentially in one of the first major policy decisions of this administration, which could be on contraception coverage. And we know we haven't yet heard from President-elect Trump or from his Health and Human Services designee on this issue, but the rhetoric indicates that, and he can change on day one, this idea that contraception should be free.
0: All right. And while we're talking about the Trump transition, I do want to let you know I spoke with Jane Mayer of The New Yorker earlier this week about how the Koch brothers may be shaping the new administration. We'll have that conversation up on our website later today. Go to www.drshow.org and click on blog short break we'll be right back
4: DCS Daily DCS Daily DCS Daily It's news, culture, and curiosities From the District, Tacoma Park Alexandria, Friendship Heights Hyattsville, Falls Church Northeast Washington, D.C.
3: In your inbox every weekday afternoon
4: DCS, DCS Daily. Daily Sign up at DCS.com newsletter
0: DCS.com newsletter And welcome back to the domestic hour of our Friday News Roundup. This week with Jeff Mason, White House correspondent for Reuters. Lisa Desjardins, political director for PBS NewsHour. And Reed Wilson, national correspondent for The Hill. Uh, one thing I want to raise is an email from McLean, Virginia, who says unemployment appears to drop, but be serious, it dropped because so many have left the workforce,
2: yeah. Well, and that is part of it. Um, people dropping out of the labor force has been an issue um, for the last several years, and and that was certainly part of it here. But that was offset by um, a really big increase in jobs, non non farm jobs that were added as well.
0: All right. Now let's talk about uh, former governor and former presidential candidate Mitt Romney, who certainly has been talked about a great deal. As a possible Secretary of State, he's met how many times with President-elect Trump? Well, he, he dined with him this week, and he had met with
2: him, I guess, the previous week That's in right. Florida in a, both very high-profile meetings. And what was particularly interesting uh, when he went out for dinner this week in New York is that Governor Romney came out and spoke to the press and this was just a few days after Kellyanne Conway, one of um, President-elect Trump's top aides, came out in television, very critical of the potential choice. Uh, because Romney was super critical of Trump during the campaign, he was really one of the leaders of the Never Trump movement. After this fancy dinner, he came out and spoke to the press and praised Praised Trump in in pretty remarkable terms. He didn't apologize for having been against uh, his candidacy, but he did say he was very optimistic about the message that Trump has been sending since his uh, election, uh, and in his uh, the way that he has put together his uh, his new administration.
0: What about press coverage and the contrast between? What happened in New York and then what happened in Florida?
2: So the press coverage piece is near and dear to my heart as the president of the Correspondents Association. And early in this transition period, uh, President-elect Trump went out for dinner uh, in New York with his family and did not bring a press pool with him. And he got a lot of criticism, including from us, for that. Uh, when he went out for dinner to the other night to this French restaurant with um, Governor Romney, a press pool was in the motorcade. And the press pool was, in fact, even allowed to come into the restaurant uh, and take some pictures and shout a couple questions. So that is progress. Uh, We'll see if we get all the way.
3: But at the moment, the debate over who the next Secretary of State is going to be uh, is down to sort of four finalists. So Romney is among them. Former New York City Mayor Rudy Giuliani. I mentioned David Petraeus earlier, and then uh, Senate Foreign Relations Committee Chairman Bob Corker. And to me, this sort of feels like what Trump has done in the past, where he will uh, take—he sort of keeps his enemies closer. And mm-hmm. and uh, he has, you know, Mitt Romney was. Unabashedly anti Trump uh, on the campaign trail uh, during the primaries. He didn't say much during the general election. Uh, but if he is not given this job, it's going to be the latest example of a Trump. Uh, opponent who has been left twisting in the wind once again, given some measure of payback.
1: I also think, don't underestimate in this decision how much Donald Trump thinks about stagecraft. And I think, uh, reflecting back on his decision for his vice presidential nominee, he chose someone who fit that role, what what that role looks like. And I think this is why Mitt Romney has become such a main contender for him. He's someone who looks like a worldwide statesman. Now, Rudy Giuliani... Is he going to be the Chris Christie character in this, someone who was loyal to Trump, with him, worked for him, but may not fit the image that Trump wants for this position? We'll see. But I, I it, that's on my mind as far as how Donald Trump chooses this position.
2: He also, as he's making this choice, has to choose between several different important constituents. One is mm. the constituency of his base uh, and of the advisors and loyalists who were part of his campaign. The other is, you know, it's in, on some level, the rest of the world. And if he sends a signal by choosing Romney that, look, I want to have somebody who has this, this background, who would be viewed as a statesman, uh, and also I want to bring together parts of my party who were not necessarily supporters, mm. that will be viewed as a very important signal. If he does the opposite, uh, he will send the opposite signal.
0: All right. And let's talk about ethics for a minute. Mm. Because I don't quite understand how the president-elect is going to manage his position in the White House while saying he's not going to have anything to do with management of his corporation, his companies. He's going to turn that all over to his children Does that mean his children can't come to the White House? What does it mean?
3: It certainly doesn't seem like it's a complete divestiture of of interests. And and the Trump organization is big enough that it's got tentacles in foreign foreign countries. It it has debt owed to banks in foreign countries. Uh, It is amazingly hard to understand how uh, to to contemplate how somebody like Donald Trump can divest himself from so many or or extricate himself from from so many such a tangled uh, uh, web of businesses. I mean, this is, he has built a very successful organization uh, that is international in scope but that isn't conducive to running a government without uh, influence from those businesses so I mean he's going to speak with his children he's going to uh, to talk with his friends many of whom are involved in his own businesses and uh, already we've seen you know things like uh, foreign diplomats being pitched on uh, staying at rooms at the Trump Hotel in in, uh, in you know in the next few months uh, here in Washington DC so that Tells me that this is going to be a story for the entirety of Donald Trump's tenure, uh, how his business interests or his family's business interests will evolve uh, with regards not only to the American economy, but to foreign economies as well.
2: Yeah. I think it's, I mean, the way you phrase the question that you don't understand how it's going to happen is sort of emblematic of the story. I don't think anybody really understands how it's going to happen, and he hasn't answered those questions. He did say that he would remove himself totally from the company, but that raise the questions of what that means, is he going to divest it doesn't sound like it is he going to remove himself from management? Probably, but how does that work um, he is He did say he would have a press conference on December fifteenth with his children in New York uh to address that that maybe the first press conference he's had since his election. So there will no doubt be questions on many other topics there if uh, the press is allowed to ask them. But that that topic has not been clarified completely by the president-elect. Lisa, and
1: hovering over this, we still don't really know what his ties are to many nations overseas. We don't have his taxes still. We don't really know um, how he's been financed and and what his relationships are with many other nations. Well,
0: it's interesting. We had um, a discussion the other day with Scotty Nell Hughes, who is one of the Trump spokespersons. And she said on this program something very curious. She said that uh, the left-wing press may regard facts in one way, and the so-called right-wing press may regard those facts as not facts at all. She ended up saying, there are no facts. So how are we to interpret, as the Trump uh, regime comes into power, what he says how it's interpreted by the press.
1: Well, I will venture an opinion on this discussion of facts, and I I think that it's a dangerous discussion. I, I think that there are facts, and I think this is going to be the challenge for not just the media, but every American citizen to really arm themselves in how they digest knowledge, you know, and to, to really— you use the muscles of their brain in a way we haven't had to before. There are facts, and and we need to be very clear about what those
3: are. And there's a big difference between politicians who will say, uh, who will offer up a a false claim that Democrats and Republicans both do, uh, and our role in the media to to not only to fact check those things, but to stand strong on on what. Is actually the truth, and there is truth. Uh, let's take something like the the jobs report that we were talking about earlier. The the listener who wrote in and said that the the, the U six rate is still pretty high, and and people are dropping dropping out of the workforce. That is a that is a well nuanced understanding of uh, the, a complex situation around the jobs report. You know that that mm-hmm. listener understands what's going on, but to say that millions of people voted illegally without offering any evidence and. There, Frank. There is no evidence. There is zero evidence of that. Uh, that is something the president-elect of the United States of America said. It is demonstrably untrue, and and there is a there is a big difference between uh, interpreting nuanced okay. information and simply telling thing saying things that are not true. And and it is it will be incumbent on us and on everybody in the nation for the next four or eight years to to understand that. This person has said things that are not true and continues to do so. Uh,
0: But there may be an awful lot of people out there who, hearing Donald Trump say there are millions of illegal voters out there uh, who Mm. uh, should not have had their votes counted, there are millions of people who believe that.
2: Yeah, well, that's true, and there are millions of people who believed a lot of things that that both president elect trump said as a candidate and that came out in fake news stories um during the campaign and i i think that there's there's certainly a responsibility as reed uh, mentioned for journalists to put in appropriate context and i and I, that the story about the voting in particular it was i was struck by headlines in the new york times and other uh media that reported on that tweet saying president elect trump said this and didn't have any evidence for
3: it. And that piece of context is pretty critical. One thing that surprises me about all this, the, the things that a President Bush said or a President Obama said are are so widely listened to, and they're, they're vetted by uh, by fact-checkers within the White House. They're, they're vetted by speechwriters. There are moments when a speechwriter will demand that a line be taken out of a speech because it's not uh, you know, 100% crystal clear, ad, accurate truth. That process does not exist with Donald Trump. And I, I really wonder in the next four or eight years uh, how uh, sort of the norms that the White House has set up uh, and, and how this, this amazingly powerful bully pulpit is going to be used by somebody who is not following the very careful procedures that other presidents have followed.
0: Does that make all of us, newspapers, television programs, with perhaps the exception of Fox, irrelevant. If you've got people who are saying what you're saying doesn't matter to me, because I heard Donald Trump say something else.
1: No, it doesn't. But I think what it does is it it sort of elevates this challenge that the media has not quite yet risen to, which is how to cover this very different kind of politician. Well, what you do differently, so. Yeah, I've, I've had a lot of conversations in the last couple of days with my colleagues trying to sort that out. And I think one thing we have to point out is that Donald Trump himself now has admitted yesterday that he speaks in euphemisms when he says something that sounds literal, millions of, you know, millions of voter fraud, millions of, of votes are, are fraudulent, uh, He's now saying, "Oh, I didn't mean that literally." That that is a that is a difficult problem, and we have to figure out how to get at that.
0: And you're listening to the Diane Rehm Show. We have a recount going on in Wisconsin, mm-hmm. uh, instigated by Green Party candidate Jill Stein. Uh, she's petitioned for. Uh, Recounts in three battleground states Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. She's raised the $6 million to do it in Wisconsin mm-hmm. and more. So, is there any chance that there was actual hacking?
3: into these voter machines? Almost certainly not. Uh, voting machines across the country are kept separate from the Internet. They're, they're not physically connected to the Internet. So you would need uh, to have a physical presence in the room where a- any of these machines are, are, are located uh, to change the numbers. If you've been to a polling place, you know how many actual physical voting machines there are. So hacking into each of them is in, in a way that could you know, change the outcome of of an election, uh, is almost impossible. Um, The margins in each of these states, uh, Donald Trump led by 70,000 votes in Pennsylvania, 22,000 in Wisconsin, 10,000 in Michigan. Jill Stein's margin, uh, Jill Stein got more votes than that margin in all three of those states. uh, But... That being said, uh, even the Clinton campaign's top lawyer, Mark Elias, says this recount is not going to change things, but it will go through and, and provide some kind of audit for uh, the actual election
0: results. In the meantime, Hillary Clinton's margin of uh, winning the That's popular right. vote – Continues to
1: rise. That's right. Over two million more Americans voted for Hillary Clinton than Donald Trump as of this point. On the recount, we do actually have the first day's results of the Michigan. Re- I'm sorry, the Wisconsin recount, and very little change. In fact, but the be- biggest beneficiary was Jill Stein herself. She picked up 17 votes <laughs> on day one. Uh, Trump lost two. So I think we're going to see it's very minor changes yeah. from these recounts.
0: A lot of money spent yeah. for very little. In the meantime, in North Carolina, uh, Governor Pat McCrory has trailed by a margin of some ten thousand votes. He still is refusing to concede.
2: Yeah, so that's a really interesting race yeah. to continue to watch as well.
1: And, and, he's, and he's claiming that, the, and he's claiming from his end, from the Republican, and that he thinks there were serious fraud, there was hacking problems. He's questioning the legitimacy of that election.
3: And this is going to lead to the next battleground in this in the war over voting rights and voting access. Uh, we've heard this now in North Carolina and New Hampshire, both states that have same-day voting registration. Right. Republicans across the country are going to take a look at same-day voter registration, which is when you show up and register to vote and cast a ballot on the same day. Uh, I expect that to be a big legislative fight in state legislatures across the country. I did talk to a pretty senior... North Carolina Republican yesterday who said he's pretty sure that Pat McCrory is, is within a few days of, of calling it quits. I wonder why he's holding on this long. Well, it's tough to lose. And when you're when and by the way, when it's that close, McCrory was losing by a polls showed him trailing by a wide margin. Then on Election Day, he came really close. His margin was only a few thousand votes. That margin has grown over the last couple of weeks. It's it's tough to accept losing.
0: All right. And the House Democrats re-elected Nancy Pelosi. Nancy Pelosi did not lose. Uh,
2: <laughs> she won uh, with 134 <laughs> votes to 63. That 63 vote um, number is higher than the the roughly 40 or so votes that uh, voted against her when there was a challenge six years ago. Uh, but it did show that she still has the support of her caucus and uh, despite some question marks about whether having this same leader can continue uh, after such a big loss, uh, she'll be the All
0: right, Dan, short break here. We'll be opening the phones when we come back, taking your calls. Stay with us. And welcome back. Time to open the phones first to Terry in Laurel, Maryland. You're on the air.
5: Thanks, Diane. Sure. Um, I uh, wanted to call in about um, the Secretary of Defense nominee, uh, General Mattis. The, I've, I want to caution. I'm a former Marine, um, and I want to caution the media in particular to slow down with their reporting on this candidate. He is well-loved by Marines for many reasons, um, both on the the URA hard-charging set and also those that maybe are a little more thoughtful. He is not, uh, he doesn't really deserve the name Mad Dog. It's not something he prefers. uh, Just to give you an example, on the lead-in to your program, NPR said, speculated that, he would lead to a greater fight against ISIS, which would lead to more more, more U.S. casualties, but also more civilian casualties. This displays a, a fundamental misunderstanding of not only General Mattis, but of Marine Corps strategy. And I think this candidate is not bipartisan. He's nonpartisan. And if the press were to slow down and take a very careful look at him, they would find that you got to peel back the layer of the stuff Marines tend to celebrate and take a look at what he's written and what he's said, and you'll find that he is a great candidate for this role that could both reform the military to make it more suited to its modern tasks and keep the Trump administration Dedicated to the drain the swamp mentality when it comes to government contracting.
0: I appreciate your comments, Terry. Thanks for calling.
2: Yeah, it's interesting to hear that from a Marine. Um, I would, however, say that the the reporting about him going by Mad Dog is based on the fact that that's what Donald Trump said last night. So the mm-hmm. the president elect is using that nickname, and that's what's driving uh, the use of that in the but
1: media. But Terry has a good point. You know, if the general General Mattis, I've seen reporting that he also that he does not prefer that. Name and it was a name that came up in a newspaper article after the second battle of Fallujah. That it was said the men refer to him that way. He also has uh, other other nicknames, but I I think Terry's point. Is is larger, which is, this is a man who has some very deep thoughts about the military and has a lot of allegiance and loyalty uh, from the Marine Corps and others, and and I, it, it's a very interesting and strong choice. It's just this question of the waiver that I think is ahead of
3: him. One, well, I, one of the things I read this morning said he, his his other nickname, the the Warrior Monk, is because yeah. he apparently has read uh, something like ten thousand military strategy books, and uh, he his comment was something like uh, he prefers to read about mistakes rather than making them the battlefield, which sounds like a pretty good plan to me.
0: And a contrast to Trump himself, who says he does not have time to aid.
1: This does seem like a man who may have a plan to fight the Islamic State. All right. You
0: know? To Brian in Evansville, Indiana, you're on the air.
4: <laughs> Hi. Um, I just wanted to make a comment about uh, something one of your panelists said earlier uh, when talking about how can the press better cover Donald Trump, Um, I would say stop taking his lead, because he's very good at creating controversy and kind of gossip in the social media world. And I think everybody in this country would be a lot better served if the media would stick to the more investigative issues, such as the crony capitalism and relationships with Deutsche Bank and his business partners. Um, We all would have been a lot better off hearing about that during the campaign as opposed to a few weeks after the election. And I don't feel like it was covered as much as his comments about race and gender, which, to be honest, most of white working class middle America Aren't as affected by as they are by economic issues. And
3: Brian, thanks for calling. And Brian, thank you for the the softball. I've wanted to go on this rant for a while here. When we talk about the media, we we use one word for something that is very much not a monolith. What Jeff does at Reuters, what Lisa does at NewsHour, what I do at the Hill, what Diane does on the show here are com- they're all completely different uh, elements of of this broader effort to bring the news. There are some people who in in at the Hill newspaper who will write about Donald Trump's tweets in the moment because that is actual news. There are other others of us who will spend a a day taking a broader look at, at, uh, for example, I spent all day yesterday writing about this this carrier deal in Indiana. Uh, There are others of us who will take a week to write something much Mm -hmm. more in depth. The media is not just one thing. It's many different things. So there are a lot of us who have to cover a lot of different things. Uh, You know, it's it's. More than just the media taking Trump's lead, there are a lot of other people in the newsroom,
0: too. Let's talk about that Carrier deal and how it came about, Reid.
3: So the deal will give Carrier uh, $7 million to keep uh, a, a 800 jobs in at a furnace factory uh, in Indianapolis and another 300 jobs in the headquarters and, and uh, research division uh, of the company that were slated to move elsewhere, not to Mexico, but slated to move elsewhere uh, within, in, within the country. The money comes from an existing program within Indiana called EDGE. It's the Economic Development, uh, I can't remember what the GE stands for, but it's Indiana EDGE. A lot of states have a program like this, and effectively what the state does is it values a job and how much money the state will generate from that job's tax revenue, and then it shares some of that money back with the company. This is not uncommon. States across the country do it. The notable thing to me was actually how little uh, the state had to give Carrier, only $7 million. Washington state just gave Boeing a, a, a tax break deal worth more than $8 billion. Uh, Nevada gave Tesla a tax deal worth more than $1 billion to build a factory there. So $7 million doesn't sound like very much. The broader question, though, and this is where uh, I think we all need to ask What role President-elect Trump played in this, uh, is that Carrier's parent company is United Technologies. United Technologies has tens of billions of dollars in contracts with the federal government, specifically with the Pentagon. So a $7 million savings in Indiana uh, versus $65 million, which is what they would have saved had they moved those jobs to Mexico, that doesn't seem like a very on-balance business decision. Were there other... Threats or promises or discussions about United Technologies existing contracts with the federal government made in conjunction with this decision to keep carrier uh, in India. Good question, Lisa. There
1: is so much to say about this. I think Reid hit a lot of it, but I think we also have to look at Donald Trump's words themselves. Again, he saying that he initially promised to keep those jobs, and yesterday he said, "Well, I didn't mean that literally." But then I heard the replay of those words in a television news piece and thought, oh, I'm going to get involved. So, So that tells us something about Donald Trump and And, sort, and his words, we also know about Donald Trump, the tactician, and Donald Trump uh, sort of the theatrical manager. The question is how much did Donald Trump make this deal come to life, or was it something already going on in Indiana? The last thing is, there are other plants in Indiana, in fact, across the street from donald trump's event yesterday, were workers from another plant who are losing their job and Here's the trick. Manufacturing in the United States actually is on the rise in terms of how much business it's doing, but the number of jobs is going down. So, and most of those manufacturing plants, Diane, 98% of them, are small not even as large as carrier so turning around manufacturing in this company in this country is the business of 300,000 different businesses and donald trump can't possibly negotiate Can with not, each one of
0: course not well
2: and just to loop back the conversation to the caller's question about the media there are, there are lots of questions about this deal there are lots of questions about the transition there are questions about um, the cabinet that, that the president elect is putting together Reporters need to be allowed a chance to ask the president-elect questions, and there hasn't been a press conference yet. Um, This press conference we talked about earlier that's coming on December 15th will be about the company. But the press needs to have an opportunity to serve its role as a truth seeker, Uh, and part of that is being able to ask the principal, in this case Donald Trump, uh, questions about what he's doing.
0: All right. To Tim in Warren, Michigan. Hi there. You're on the air. Hi, Diane.
5: Hi. Um, uh, first thing I want to say before I get to my question is I'm really going to miss you when you leave because I consider you to be a national treasure. Uh,
0: thanks. <laughs> anyway, by um, the you way, were talking about. By you, the you, way, uh, I am going to be doing a weekly podcast, so oh, you won't okay. miss me altogether.
5: Oh, all right. Excellent. Good. Now, here's uh, the, my question comment basically you guys were talking about facts earlier really, in your panel um basically my thing is this you're entitled to your own opinion but you are not entitled to your own set of facts for example on the climate change thing the only debate there is on that is in the political arena it is settled science when someone says a comment that's blatantly false Folks in certain areas of the press need to call them on it. For example, if someone came right out and denied the Holocaust, nobody would accept that. And I will take my comments off there so All right. to another caller.
0: Thanks a lot.
1: Right. He. I think he raises a very fair point. And I thought Brian in Indiana when he said stop taking Donald Trump's lead. I, I mean, I think that's something we have to every day recognize. And even in this carrier story, you know, we're, we're we, we need to look at what the details were of this deal, but we also need to provide more context. The overall narrative Donald Trump is giving the country is that manufacturing is dying, but that's not actually borne out in the facts. Some facets of manufacturing are dying, and it's bad for workers. But the manufacturing industry itself, the owners of those of that industry, they're doing well right now. So we need to really look at the context of what's happening in our economy, not just the easy headlines.
0: Read earlier this week, a student at Ohio State attacked 11 people on campus before being shot by police. What is the latest, is there any indication he had a
3: relationship or was influenced by al-Qaeda? Uh, no and yes. So uh, Abdul Razak Artan uh, was killed after uh, attacking these students at Ohio State. Uh, before he left his house that morning, he wrote on Facebook that he was angry at the treatment of Muslims in the United States. And there is some indication that he was uh, influenced by the uh, the Anwar al-Awlaki. Sorry. There you go. I'm just terrible at pronouncing that name anyway uh, he uh, there is indication that he was influenced by uh, the the terrorist who was killed in a drone strike a few years ago uh, there the Islamic state has claimed responsibility for the attack there's no evidence that they had some kind of direct connection to this young 18 year old student uh, itself and this is what American law enforcement fears most is the person who radicalizes himself or herself online uh, by listening to the you know speeches on YouTube or or, or uh, any of the social networking channels that are available, and then pops out of the woodwork with no warning signs whatsoever. And there are no indications that this this person who had, had transferred to Ohio State from a local community college, so he had had some success in American society, uh, had then self-radicalized without warning uh, any law enforcement figures, which is what worries people in the long run.
0: And yet another tweet from Trump saying... ISIS is taking credit for the terrible stabbing attack at Ohio State University by a Somali refugee who should not have been in our country. Lisa.
1: We're going to watch very closely how Donald Trump handles immigration as is related to the war on terror. And he has had several different standpoints on that over the last year, going everything from an all-out ban to a possible registry to a country-by-country ban. And I think it's going to be one of the biggest early decisions of his administration that will forecast the atmosphere for the next four years.
0: And you're listening to The Diane Rehm Show. Lisa, let's talk about uh, the 21st Century Cures Act. What is it?
1: Oh, I'm so happy we're talking about this. This is one of the largest, least talked about actions in Washington in probably the last two years, maybe the last four years. Uh, this is a very large medical innovations bill um, that is bipartisan. It passed through the House yesterday with barely any opposition. Republicans and Democrats came together. And, you know, from the Democratic side, this would infuse some $5 billion, with a B dollars in funding for NIH. That includes that cancer project from Joe Biden, the cancer moonshot. That's getting funding. Also, Alzheimer's research, tremendous amount of cash going to NIH here. On the Republican and business side, this also changes some of how drugs are regulated and how, wh- how quickly drugs can come to market. It speeds up how quickly some drugs can come to market, makes the testing process, in some cases, shorter. Now, that is something that has brought a great deal of opposition from people like Elizabeth Warren, who say this bill is a giveaway to drug companies. However... It does have tremendous support in Congress, and the president is likely to sign it. So it's something to pay very close attention to.
0: And one final subject, the Charlotte police officer who fatally shot Keith Lamont Scott in September is not going to Mm -hmm. face criminal charges how did officials reach that decision? So
2: the official said that he acted lawfully uh, when he shot uh, this gentleman, um, that there were at least 10 times uh, audibly where police were heard asking him to drop his gun, uh, and so that he it was justified what he did. And that's how they got to that conclusion. But they were concerned uh, about that because of the demonstrations that followed the shooting um, that turned violent in some cases. And there was concern
0: that that might happen again because of these. And there was a gun there was a gun. There was. They say gun. that he
1: bought a gun potentially to deal with uh, another kind of far, farther removed member of his family he was concerned about. It. It's not clear, but they say just just a few days, I think a, a week and a half before the shoot, and he had purchased the gun. That was part of the disconnect. His daughter had done the, you t- uh, the Facebook Live video in which she said he doesn't own a gun. That was part of the anger, saying this is a man that didn't own a gun. The police say he did and that he had it with him.
3: Right. Uh, this is a an ongoing issue that is uh sort of the 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 trust that americans have in uh, their institutions uh we've actually seen an increase in the percentage of americans who trust the police the big problem though is that the number of white americans who trust the police is growing while the number of african americans who trust the police is plunging and that disconnect is going to is going to play out for years, decades, a long time in this country.
0: And just to underscore some of the difficulties we've been talking about in this hour of reaching the public with facts, mm-hmm. David in Denton, Texas says, I teach history to college kids. People are not reading anymore. It's not the media's fault that they can't reach people. But somehow we are all going to have to find a way to get people to read, to watch, to listen, to do all of that, to educate themselves. And we've been talking about the transition in this hour. I want to let you know I spoke earlier this week to Jane Mara of The New Yorker about how the Koch brothers may be shaping the new administration. We'll have that conversation up on our website later today. You can go to drshow.org and click on blog. Reid Wilson, Lisa Desjardins, Jeff Mason, thank you all. Thanks you, for having us. You stand. are a national
3: treasure Oh, you're dear Great to <laughs> what be with a you. privilege. As always. Congratulations. And thanks
0: all for listening. I'm Diane Marine.